and every person on earth gets headaches from time to time, you know, some more than others. And the, I think because it's such a common thing in, 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 in the world that people think, oh, well, I would have, he- I, I have headaches, and so does my neighbor, and he's not a veteran. So they don't think to cl- claim it, right? And that's a big mistake because with VA disability, it's not just about whether or not you would have had a headache, whether you were in the service or not, for example. Like, of course you would, but the point is that your headaches are made worse or are increased by your service by maybe having that mental health condition. Mental health oftentimes causes headaches. Mental health oftentimes causes gastrointestinal distress. And so those are things that people don't think to file for and they really, really should. Hey everybody, it's Jeremy Lynch and Michael Turner from Obu Interactive. Today on Cases for Causes, we will be talking about Veterans Affairs Advocacy with the VA guy, Michael Hoffman of Warner, Hoffman & Gregg. Michael understands the gritty fight against the VA from firsthand experience. As a disabled combat veteran, he stands as a tenacious advocate for the servicemen and women who served our nation, intimately familiar with the unique hurdles they face in veterans' disability claims and appeals. Michael's service record began with his time as part of the F-A-18 Hornet Squadron VFA-192 aboard the USS Kitty Hawk in Japan. He further broadened his service resume in Afghanistan, stepping up as the combat master driver for U.S. forces under the Individual Augmentee Program. Transitioning from his military role, Michael honed his skills in the legal field. He earned his bachelor's degree in political science at the University of Central Florida before advancing to the John Marshall Law School in Chicago. There, he garnered both his JD and LLM in trial advocacy and dispute resolution, all distinguished with honors. Armed with these qualifications, Michael continues to battle relentlessly for the rights and benefits of his fellow veterans. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. We've been fortunate enough to cross paths and work with you and have a bit of a reputation as the veterans affairs guy. In fact, I've heard you simply called the VA guy by multiple attorneys in your area. Could you share with us and our listeners kind of how you earned that reputation and also what motivated you to get started in this particular area? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll start from the second part of the question and why I started focusing on this area of law. And that's because, you know, as a veteran myself, when I, when I got out of high school, I joined the Navy 2005, kind of in the middle of the wars and did some time on a ship and an aircraft carrier and then in Afghanistan uh, on the ground. And when I was in the service, I was kind of the guy that was the, the fixer guy, if you will. Like everybody came to me with, you know, this. I was, I like to learn how to get around and through things and out of things. So I was what we call a sea lawyer is the expression in the Navy that requires zero Juris Doctorate degree, by the way. But, uh, but that's what I was. And so it was kind of natural. And like when I got back in duty, I went to college and I went to law school and I was fortunate that the law school I went to had a clinic that did veterans issues. And so I got to work there and kind of get a little taste of it. And, you know, I was fortunate enough when I was getting out of school or pretty soon after getting out of school to get a job in the VA space. Uh, it was something I wanted to do. I had to go through the whole process myself. And when I went through it, I did not know my, you know, my right from my left. I didn't know which way to go. I had no idea what I was doing. I had some serious injuries and I knew that and I knew I needed to claim them or, you know, go get treatment for them, but I didn't know how the process worked. And had I, I would have been in a much better position than I was at the time. So once I uh, started practicing, it was a natural fit for me to go into the NBA work. Uh, and working with veterans. The other big thing for me about it is, while I absolutely do not miss being in the military, I'm glad I am out. I the thing that everybody misses is the camaraderie and kind of the 
you know, the guys that you're with. It's kind of you, you hear athletes talk about that when they stop playing and it's the same thing with the service. And I get the perfect balance of not having to, you know, clean a toilet with a toothbrush anymore, but also getting to be around my guys and getting to help my guys and getting to tell stories and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So that's how I got into VA. Why I'm the VA guy is... You know, we we went right into it. We jumped full full fledged into it. It's it's my it's what I do. I, you know, if you ask me to help you with a contract for your real estate purchase, I am not your guy, right? I'm hardcore into VA, and the circles that we've run in together uh, have a lot of attorneys that do amazing work. They just they don't do VA. They do stuff that helps veterans and is related to veterans, but they don't handle the VA. And the VA is such a unique and different beast that if you're not all the way in it, there's no point of doing anything in it. So. Over the years, I've been their guy to help out with on Casey and, and answer questions for them. As you know, a lot of the big litigation cases recently have involved veterans, so there's been a lot of times where they've had to ask me questions and answer, how does the VA work, or what, how do I get this record, or whatever. So over time, I think that's how I earned that moniker, and I'm very proud to have it, by the way. Yeah, and you mentioned going through that process yourself and the confusion and a large part of this is you know veterans who have had their claims possibly denied and then they may, might still need the help so what's your message to someone who's maybe had their claim denied and how a lawyer like yourself can, can possibly help them out sure so i think it's not just <laughs> excuse me not just denied but also granted but not given the appropriate percentage i think that if you're not if, if your rating decision doesn't say 100 percent on it uh, total and permanent you should at least have somebody look at it and see if there's more meat on the bone. Oftentimes, even when the VA grants, it, grants a condition, they'll under undersell you or under lowball you. Maybe your PTSD or mental health should be at 50 or 70%. They gave you 30. Maybe it's denied because some, you know, googly gobbly words they put into the decision that don't make any sense, right? And so you get let somebody that knows what they're doing look at it and figure out, you know, which way to go with it. I think we all need help. We all need help with a lot of things. The expectation that somebody that has no legal experience or background will be able to easily navigate, navigate the world's largest bureaucracy by themselves is kind of crazy to me. And a lot of veterans do it. And most veterans that go before the VA do so unrepresented. And that's by design. I mean, the VA makes it hard to, you know, they, they don't offer the services, if that makes sense. And, you know, they don't want you to. They, they, why would they, they're the ones paying you. Why would they want you to be... Uh, I geared up pretty much if somebody a good rule of thumb is if somebody tells you you don't need a lawyer that's exactly when you need to hire a lawyer what i would tell guys to answer your question more directly what i tell guys that have been denied or under underrated just have somebody look at it walk through it talk about it and, and see what else is there and see what else can be claimed um that's a big thing that people don't do is they they even by when they file for their rating there for their disability they don't think about all the things that they should be filing for they don't know if service connected or if it's related or they say, oh, I didn't go get treatment and service for that, but, so I can't file for them. And that's just not correct. There's just a lot of falsehoods that are floating around. So it's important to kind of get to the bottom of that. So, Michael, you list on your bio on your website that you're a VA accredited attorney. Can you talk about what that means and maybe the significance of it when a veteran is looking to navigate filing a claim? Sure. So it's super significant. The only people that can practice before the Department of Veteran Affairs, and by that it means represent a, a veteran in their disability claim or in the disability process, is a VA accredited attorney. And so 
in addition to passing the bar in whatever state in the country, you have to be certified or accredited by the Department of Veteran Affairs. And that includes an extensive background test, um, questions, fingerprinting, the whole bit, like all kinds of stuff to make sure that you're qualified to represent a veteran. They want to make sure you have a certain understanding of the process. You have to go through extra trainings and courses to get certified and then to stay certified or accredited, I guess, is a, a proper way to say it. It's always been important, but right now it's especially important because there's a lot of predatory non-attorneys out there that are representing to veterans that they can help them with their claim or do all this stuff. And they're charging them fees that are not allowable by Congress. Uh, we charge, ours, we're regulated by Congress. They're not. And they don't actually provide them legal services. They just file claims for them or get a medical opinion or something like that. But they're not accredited. They're not allowed to do it. And what they end up doing is taking a lot of the veterans' money that they're, that they're entitled to. And, and they're not really being shepherds or stewards of the system to them. Regarding the different types of VA claims, it seems to us that it's pretty wide-ranging. Could you walk listeners out there through perhaps the most common three or four that you handle and also a couple out there that might be sort of under the radar that people may not know they can file for? It's a great question. So just about everybody files for some version of mental health, whether it's PTSD is kind of the catch-all moniker that people use. Um, for mental health, but it might not be PTSD. It might be major depressive disorder. It might be um, adjustment disorder, anxiety, or whatever, right? You know, it's a mental health claim. You can see a lot of people filing for orthopedic issues. My knee's, my knee's messed up. My back's messed up. You know, uh, you see that. You see people filing for sleep apnea quite a bit. That's more common. Hearing loss, tinnitus, those are some of the more common ones that get filed for. And when I say orthopedic issues, I mean, name a body, name a body part, right? We, it's pretty messed up in the service, so everybody's different. But those are things that people claim often. Two things that people never claim or don't claim nearly often enough is gastrointestinal distress. So by gastrointestinal distress, you know, diarrhea, constipation, um, heartburn, acid reflux, whatever, that kind of stuff, any, any stomach problems or um, headaches. And the reason why I think people don't do it is because Every person on earth gets diarrhea, constipation, heartburn from time to time. You don't really talk about it, but it happens, right? And, uh, and every person on earth gets headaches from time to time, you know, some more than others. And be, I think because it's such a common thing in, 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 in the world that people think, oh, well, I, would have, I, I have headaches, but so does my neighbor, and he's not a veteran. So they don't think to claim, claim it, right? And that's a big mistake because with VA disability, it's not just about whether or not you would have had a headache whether you were in the service or not, for example. Like, of course you would. But the point is that your headaches are made worse or are increased by your service by maybe having that mental health condition. Mental health oftentimes causes headaches. Mental health oftentimes causes gastrointestinal distress. And so th those are things that people don't think to file for, and they really, really should. I Every single one of my clients that we sign up or work with, we talk, talk to them about it and, and make sure that they understand that that's something that they should be looking at because... I like to call them chunk yardage. They can be larger percentage points that can add towards towards their disability, and they're oftentimes just overlooked. And so that's something that I really focus on is kind of getting more creative solutions. And, and just because the VA says no doesn't mean that it's a, it's a no. You know, we, we can fight it until the end of time and eventually uh, wear them down. Yeah, that's that's fascinating insight. 
in terms of statute of limitations, does it vary per claim or is there a kind of mixed criteria depending on what you're potentially filing for? Sure. So generally speaking, there's there's no statute of limitations like you would have in a, you know, a, a car accident or a contract claim or something like that. I've represented guys that served in World War II and made their first claim like five years ago was that case, right? So obviously there's, there's no statute of limitations. What happens is, is that when you, when you file for a claim for disability and then the VA gives you a rating decision, which is what, like, is what it's called, or you know, they make a decision on your case, you have one year from the date of that decision to appeal it. So that's kind of your statute of limitations, if you will. But it doesn't, it, it, even if you miss that year, it doesn't completely bar you. What it does is just means that you're not accruing the back pay, right? So the way it works is the, day you, the date of claim or the date you filed an intent to file is the day that they start the clock, right? And so if, if you're continuously appealing your case, so meaning every time you get a denial, you're appealing it within a year, it should go back to, or you have the potential for the, the, the back pay or the, the claim to go back all the way to the date of filing. If you miss that deadline, if you miss that year deadline, you can absolutely reapply for the same conditions again, and you do that for people all the time. But there's a few few things, uh, hurdles you have to get through. One thing, it's something uh, passing the standard called new and relevant evidence. You have to submit new and relevant evidence. What that means, nobody really knows. You know what new and relevant evidence is, but we can. You know, it's not that hard. It's a new medical records or an article that shows it that could help with the claim. Uh, so we file that to reopen the claim. The downside is that you don't, you, you know, it, it's starting over. So while you're not barred from doing it, the date that you filed that reopen claim is now your new date. A lot of times that's confusion that causes confusion for you. Oh, I filed in 1977. It should go all the way back to 77. I wish, but not so much. You know, um, there are uh, rare exceptions where we can go back to those earlier dates and we can prove what's called a clear and unmistakable error, meaning that the VA denied it. If there's no, uh, if 10 people looked at it, all 10 people would say this is a mistake. And it's a very, very uncommon, very rare situation and hard to prove, but it, ha- it does happen from time to time. But to sum it up, there is no actual statute of limitations. You know, just because you got out in 87 doesn't mean you can't file in 2027. So I imagine part of the reason for that lack of or not having a statute of limitations is because some of these conditions or disabilities that people may develop or have take a long time to show up or symptoms may be misdiagnosed and they thought they were something else and something like that. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely it. Another reason is, um, you know, you get off active duty. Most guys join at 18, 19. They get off at 21, 22, 23. And they, what happens in that part of your life, right? You got to, you're trying to, you're going back home and they're trying to create a family and they're working and they're, they're grinding. Most veterans are blue collar guys and they're out there doing their thing. And the majority of us aren't independently wealthy with nothing but time, right? So these guys are in the system and they're, and they don't have time to go to the VA and do all this stuff. They're not thinking about it. They're also just getting off active duty in some situations, just getting back from war or whatever. And the last thing they want to do is go sit around the VA clinic often, you know, it can be very stressful for people uh, mentally and everything else. So the, the point is just that there, the, the expectation that you do it right away is not there. It would, if, if, if we had a statute of limitations like two years, four years, very few veterans would get their benefits because most guys don't kind of come back around to it till 10, 15 years later. 
and they're looking around and being like, damn, my back is killing me. My knees are killing me. I'm looking at my friends and yeah, sure. Their back hurts too, but they can still tie their shoes. Right. What's the difference, you know? And so that's why there's no, I think that's why there's no statute of limitations. Makes sense. So I want, I want to switch gears a little bit. I understand that you did some lobbying work in DC. Can you share some insight into that process and kind of how you got into that? Sure. So I've always been super interested or involved in veterans benefits and veterans rights as a whole from a political standpoint. I'm not particularly partisan, but veterans is really great because it's even in a split house or split Senate where everybody hates each other, they have to at least pretend like they like veterans. So we can usually get stuff done. So the organization that I do most of my stuff through is the Iraq Afghanistan Veterans of America, which I'm a member of, obviously, but it's the largest group of um, wartime veterans you've ever had in this country since, since the Civil War, because you have the war lasted 20 years, right? So, you know, um, and a lot of these guys served in both com- conflicts. It's, and essentially, pretty anybody, anybody from September 12, 2001 to today kind of fits into that thing, not just guys that went to that game in Afghanistan, but the wartime. And what they do is they do a lot of um, work on veterans' cases, on so not like actually disability cases, but on getting things... Uh, broader stuff so like the post 9-11 gi bill was the one of their first big wins which was um how we went to school how we go to college uh, with our benefits uh most recently they were very active with the pact act which i know you guys are pretty familiar with the camp lejeune and the burn pits and all that stuff that was mostly spearheaded by them and along with some of the other organizations and so I've been involved with them for a lot of years and they asked me a couple of years ago if I wouldn't mind coming to DC. And, and so I do. And I go up and have meetings with congressmen and senators and whatever to try and convince them and try to show them what's going on with the VA. Generally, the nice thing about lobbying for VA is everybody really truly does want to make it better. It's just they don't know how and they don't have the experience. They don't have the knowledge. So we can, you know, I've been there where I had a meeting with a super liberal senator and then like a fire breathing conservative conservative congressman like 20 minutes later and the conversation is honestly pretty similar it's like okay i don't understand this explain it to me explain it to me how does this work why why does this happen and why is this important so i do it a lot because i have a lot of knowledge on it because of what i do for my job and so i'm able to kind of educate them and and help them out with understanding some different stuff yeah so that kind of leads me into my follow-up which is do you feel like that lobbying experience as well as the actual representation kind of goes hand in hand with you actually helping veterans through the claim process? I think so. I think they, you know, one hand washes the other, right? I think my knowledge and experience certainly helps that. I, I'd be honest with you. I think that my experience representing veterans helps me more with the lobbying side of it than my lobbying side helps me with the veterans. But but what I, what, what, I, what I see happen the most is that I'll deal with a case that's kind of unique or something weird or this guy got screwed over in an extra special kind of way. And it was um, based on some archaic rule or some bureaucracy, you know, you know, bureaucratic setup. And I'll go in, when I go in and talking about it, I can point to that and I can use that specific ex- example. And, and it's not just this abstract. I can say, you know, Michael Turner had this issue and this is why, and this is what happened to him. And this is why we need to fix it. Right. 
So it helps there. Um, as far as going the other way towards representing clients, because I do the lobbying, because I spend a lot of time in the actual bills and laws, I understand it better. I understand the rules better. And so I th think having a, a more holistic knowledge or understanding of the process helped me with the VA cases as well. Really fascinating stuff, Michael. And I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. It's been a pleasure and hopefully we'll be able to connect soon and get you on another one. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the, uh, taking the time to talk with me about the VA. I want to thank Michael for joining us today. We really appreciated him spending some time and sharing his expertise on all things VA. If you want to find out more about Michael and the Werner Hoffman and Greg Law Firm and the work they do related to Veterans Affairs Advocacy, you can visit their website at wernerhoffman.com or check them out on Instagram at wernerhoffmangreg. I want to thank all of you out there for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Cases for Causes and would like to support the podcast, smash that subscribe button, share with others, post about it on social media, and always leave us a rating or a review. To catch all the latest from Obu Interactive, you can follow us on Instagram at Obu Interactive or visit us on the web at obuinteractive.com. Thanks again, and until next time, work passionately, live peacefully.